Listening to the 919 Podcast, the only podcast telling the stories of the over 1.5 million people living within and transforming the triangle. I'm your host, John Carter. This week I sat down with Brent Woodcox, who is the special counsel to the North Carolina General Assembly, and he's an advocator for affordable housing and sustainable development in the Raleigh area. He's founded Yembi and Share Raleigh, which we'll get into uh, just a few minutes. We had a lot of fun hanging out in the legislative building in downtown Raleigh where he works. And we were actually surrounded by a lot of representatives and senators uh, running back and forth between their offices. So cool work environment. Um, as always, if you know someone who's making an impact in the triangle, please tweet at me or Facebook me or email me at the919podcast at gmail.com. A lot of these episodes lately have been suggested by listeners like you. So thank you. Uh, make sure to share about the podcast with friends. And again, I'm hanging out with Brent Woodcox. Let's get started. I'm here in downtown Raleigh with Brent Woodcox, a, the special counsel at the North Carolina General Assembly and the creator of Wimby. Raleigh. So, uh, Brent, thanks for being on the 919 Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, we're going to talk a lot about Raleigh today, but first, let's hear about you, how you got to Raleigh, what brought you here, and what kept you here. So, I originally came to North Carolina back in 2001 to attend uh, UNC Chapel Hill, um, go Tar Heels, and <laughs> I uh, also uh, just stayed here after that, went to uh, Duke Law School. And just about, you know, after I'd been in the area, um, I got my first job here in Raleigh, moved to Raleigh, and uh, I just loved it. And, you know, after I'd moved here even just for a few months, I was like, you're never going to be able to kick me out, although they might try. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So you went to the enemy school right after your undergrad. Yeah, it's a funny story because I, for whatever reason, I'm actually originally from Louisville, Kentucky. And so, um, Gosh, so a lot of basketball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been a big part of the major rivalries of college <laughs> basketball, uh, and was a, a Louisville fan who went for my first year at the University of Kentucky. Um, and really? so I, I have this penchant for going to the rival school. I don't know how it's, it happens, but, um, after I got done at Carolina, for whatever reason, it seems like it's harder to get in as an out-of-state student into their law school, and it's harder if you went to Carolina undergrads. So I had two strikes against me. They waitlisted me, and Duke said, came in and said they'd give me a scholarship, and I said, well, I don't think I'm going to wait any longer. Right. Um, so I ended up at Duke, and uh, it was hard to change schools like that, but my basketball allegiance has never changed. It's still with the undergrad. <laughs> yes, okay, absolutely. Gotcha. And maybe a little bit of louisville and kentucky in there somewhere right and you know i did i did go to school at duke with an all acc wrestler named julius who had also gone to carolina undergrad so i told anybody at duke they had a problem with me going to carolina undergrad they could talk talk, to julius yeah gotta go through him first (laughs) awesome um so besides your day job and uh yembe which we'll talk about uh what are you up to in the area um i mean just we, we live in Five Points, so we love to visit the breweries you that are in Five Points. Yeah, me and my wife and our dog, Gordon. Gordon. And, uh, um, 
So we love to go to Dick's Park, go to Trophy, like yeah. just explore Raleigh. I mean, it's just such a great place to live. That's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about Raleigh is because I've been so blessed. My wife and our family has been so blessed to live here. And I'm like, I just want to open that up to as many people as possible because they deserve to experience that too. You need to come on the podcast more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just need a, I just need you having a monologue about how great Raleigh is. Um, so, yeah, describe what is, what is Yenby and I guess for the listener that's uh, Y-I-M-B-Y. So what is Yenby? Uh, you've been involved in that besides being the special counsel for the uh, North Carolina General Assembly. So Yeah, so, um, well, Yenby, just as a concept, it means yes in my backyard. It's a response to the not in my backyard, which is kind of a... a it's very skeptical of new development, skeptical of new uh, commercial development that might be near. Um, just kind of really anything that isn't a single family home that looks and sounds exactly like what you would expect from the typical uh, neighborhood. And, and this is more of a, it's a, kind of an urbanist movement. It, it definitely focuses on affordable housing, making sure that there is affordable housing. Um, which I'll talk about a little bit more in depth, but not just um, as far as subsidized housing, but also market rate housing. We need to build more housing and, and that will help people to afford to purchase it, particularly millennials that are moving into Raleigh, that are that have been here, that many of the things that I feel like Raleigh has experienced as far as growth and change and more bars and restaurants downtown and more job opportunities, all of that, to, in my opinion, is built on millennials and people that like me, came here for college, decided to stay because they really liked the area, and now are giving back through their taxes, through the ways that they're involved in the community, um, and they've just really tried to, to make this this city a better place. So it's focused on that, but it's also focused on transit, access to transit, to make sure that the people, it doesn't really matter much if you have affordable housing. Continue. <laughs> you're good, you're good. So, we had a special guest on the podcast for a second. <laughs> Um, so I think that, um, you know, as far as it doesn't help much if you have access to a affordable place to live, if you can't get around and get to the place you need to go, get to work, get to shop, get to school, get to wherever you need to go. So it's focusing on that, but it also just is in my mind, a general celebration of what Raleigh is and how growth has made Raleigh a better place because you get, you have a lot of skepticism about growth and we're growing too fast and things are changing too much and all the rest of it. And I'm like, yeah, but think about what Raleigh was 10 years ago and how downtown was quiet streets with tumbleweeds and nobody going <laughs> down there. There weren't job opportunities in the same way. There was not the lively atmosphere. It wasn't a tourist destination the same way it is now. And sure, that, that has brought change, but the only way to get better is to change. And so hopefully Raleigh is becoming better through change. Gotcha. And, and you're pioneering through Yembe is really a platform for you just to start that conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really thought about, well, what can I do? Um, I see these problems that are public policy problems. I'm in politics. I like politics. I think that despite all the negative connotations that it has, there is an opportunity that in government that can be a place that we come together and we solve problems together. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen as often as it should, but I feel like on the local level, that's more possible right now than it is at the national or even at the state level. And so I thought, well, one thing I can do is I can write and I understand a little bit about social media. And so I can get a message out and hopefully I can find other people who agree with me. And I have, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, I've been waiting for somebody to come along and say this because I've been thinking it for a long time. And I'm just glad that you're here. And, and I've made a lot of good relationships through that. So. That's awesome. And this, uh, 
Yembi came out of Share Raleigh. Is that the same idea? Yeah. Cause so because you, sh- you have, I mean, you have a few different platforms. You have your own personal Twitter, which I which I enjoy looking at, and then <laughs> and then Yembi, but you also have Share Raleigh. So so tell, tell us about that. So Share Raleigh grew out of I was involved in uh, 2017 with a uh, the short term rental task force that the city of Raleigh had come together. Each city councilor at the time had appointed two members to this short term rental task force. We met for about six months and ultimately made a compromise proposal recommendation for what we should do with short-term rentals uh, in Raleigh, and short-term rentals being Airbnb, VRBO, really anything that you rent out uh, on a less than 30-day basis. Um, And so we made our recommendation, and it didn't go anywhere. The city council didn't act, and I thought, well, I'm frustrated by this. I've spent a lot of my time and effort and energy on this. I think this is a reasonable compromise. I think it's something that everybody in the city can get behind if we just give it a chance. And so I said, well, I'm going to start supporting some candidates in this election who agree. And so I sent out a survey to all the candidates that were running for election, got a lot of answers back, and we endorsed candidates based on that survey. And then we ended up raising money and, and it was a political action committee. So we advocated for the election of the candidates in 2017 who supported short-term rentals. We weren't as successful as we would have liked to be, but we did elect some good candidates to the council who were still a voice, that strong voice for, for short-term rentals. And that fight continues. But now I felt like through that experience, well, there are more than just short-term rental issues that I care about. There are all these other affordable housing transit-related issues, and they all kind of are about growth and change and new ideas and incorporating technology to make people's lives better. And mm-hmm. how do I get behind that? And that's how, how YMB came about. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So maybe let, let's frame up the the problem more. So you were talking about just, I mean, Raleigh, especially, and that's what you were talking about. I mean, but you also think about Durham and Chapel Hill probably a little bit, right? Right. We have a lot to learn, I think, from the whole region because sure. we're all experiencing some of the same problems. Right. But I mean, Raleigh especially has had a lot of growth. Yeah. I think, I actually, I looked this up, but um, Raleigh from 2010 to 2017 has grown 17.4%, which is a good amount. Yeah. In seven years, um, median household income seventy one thousand. Uh, you have other cities like Seattle, DC. But I mean, there's a lot of like uh, Orlando. You know, all, all these cities that are also experiencing all this growth. So maybe describe the problem more. Like, are there a lot of people moving here? I mean, yes, but like, what does that look like, and to what areas? So yeah. So I think that. The big issue is one of supply and demand. I mean, that's that's ultimately what you're talking about. Is there enough housing supply to meet the demand of all the new people that are coming in? A recent article just came out in the Durham Herald Sun, I think it was either today or yesterday, that said in Durham they had about 10,500 new residents move in over a period of time over the last few years, and but they've only actually constructed 9,100 new housing units during that, that time, or numbers close to that. Well, that obviously illustrates the problem. You got more people moving in than you actually have housing units. Right. And so you can't you can't possibly fill the demand. And when you fall short on that, well that basically means prices will rise. There'll be more people in the market, more people bidding against each other. And when those prices rise, it starts to price out people that are not at the top end of the market. And it also distorts the market that the people that tend to be able to dictate what kind of housing gets built are the people that are the most well off. So if you're going to build a 5,000 square house, square foot house, you can probably find somebody to, buy you, find, to build you a 5,000 square foot house. Mm-hmm. But if you need a thousand foot square uh, house starter home, 
well, there might not necessarily be a developer who has the time for you because there's not that's not as good of a margin business. Sure, sure. So you need more housing right here in Wake County. We actually have a deficit right now where 91,000 families are housing cost burdened, meaning they spend more than 30% of their their income on housing. That's a typical uh, just measure of whether or not you're spending too much, you're stretched too thin, and you're not going to be able to make the rent or make the mortgage. I'm quickly calculating how much I spend on rent <laughs> to make sure I'm not doing that. And, uh, and we also know that we actually have a deficit of 56,000 affordable housing units right now, which would be those that are 30% income for median income or below. That's a couple people. Yeah, you know. so that's that's a lot. You need 56,000 units. We currently have none of those. We need right. to build them. And over the next 20 years, considering our growth, we're projected to need 150,000. Wow. So currently we have a plan between Wake County and Raleigh. And I want to be clear that they are making investments in building affordable housing. They are building subsidized housing at a strong rate. I think that Wake County just committed $15 million, which was a historic commitment. Raleigh's committed $22 million in their budgets this year, which is great. Unfortunately, that only adds up to about four or 5,000 actual housing units. So it leaves it with a huge deficit. Um, and the reality is we're not going to be able to fill it just through subsidized housing. Sure. I, I was curious because I think it'd be hard to be against what you're saying, but where, where would this be built? I'm trying to think of like land in the area. And then how do you, if, you don't, if you're not going to spread too far away from where everything is, how do you build it in Raleigh uh, where there's already a lot of you know, stuff in place? I mean, I, that's, that's the part that gets me. It's, it's so difficult. So how, how do you go about that? Well, one concept is the concept of infill. So that means that you've already got a neighborhood that's developed, you've got a developed area, and you want to develop it at a higher density. So you're going to get more housing units per acre, more housing units per square mile. Um, what limits us right now is our zoning code. Our zoning code kind of favors large single-family neighborhoods with big, big lots. Um, probably half of the area in Raleigh right now is zoned where you're going to have to have at least 15,000 to 20,000 square feet on your lot. Well, if you're building on a lot that's that large, particularly if it's an area of town that's in high demand, that's going to be a very expensive house and it's probably going to be a very large house because otherwise it wouldn't be worth buying that much land. Right, right. Um, and right now, I think about 80% of the land that gets developed in Raleigh is developed into single family homes. There's not, not anything wrong with a single-family home. I live in a single-family home. I love single-family homes. But we need more housing types if we're going to satisfy all this demand because not everybody wants to buy a home right away. And as I said, there aren't many of those that are starter home quality. Um, and so we need to look into what they call the concept of missing middle housing. Um, we're very good right now at building single-family homes. We're pretty decent at building very large apartment complexes as long as we have the zoning in place where that's allowed. Right. Um, but, I mean, you know, you see a lot of them going up downtown in North Hills. There, You can build apartment complexes that are large and have lots of units in them. What we're not very good at building right now because of our zoning code are smaller multifamily dwellings. So talking about duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, what um, are smaller apartment buildings that may only have, you know, six, eight, ten units. 
and particularly those that may be able to blend into a single family neighborhood and look like single family homes, but actually house multiple families. Right. Um, those units are cheaper to produce, they're cheaper to rent, they're cheaper to own, they're easier for people to get into, and they're transitional housing, uh, particularly if folks are you know, just starting out their careers or they're at the bottom rung in the economic ladder and they're looking to move up. That can be, as for a young family, a really important way that they can do that. And obviously we also have things like tiny homes and, and uh, those kind of situations right. that are totally illegal in Raleigh right now, but could satisfy a need for folks who need access to housing, who want to own something of their own, but don't have a lot of capital in order to buy something. Right. Wow. Um, so I'm actually curious. So you coming from Louisville, um, is that an area as well? I'm trying to trying to get down to the, you know, how did you get so passionate about this topic? So like, is Louisville experiencing a lot of the same stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think that growing up, um, I, I don't I don't necessarily know that I thought all that much about, about housing. housing. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I lived in a house did, yeah. that they paid for it. Right. I didn't have to worry about it. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I went to college and, you know, eventually got my own job. And finally, when I moved to Raleigh and bought my first house, it was just a townhouse um, over near Lake Lynn. And uh, it was just a really great opportunity for me to get into a house that I think was about $150,000. And it was, it was something that it was ready to move in. It served my needs at the time. And I loved living in that area. And I was just like, there should be more of these opportunities and we need to be building more of these opportunities because there are so many people who find themselves in a like circumstance. And so for me, what makes me passionate about this issue is opportunity. It's the fact that if you can't find a stable place to live, a place that you can call your own, it's very hard to get ahead in life. And we know that in Raleigh, one one of the unfortunate things that we experience is that we have a lot of wealth inequality and we have we have a problem with folks not being able to have access to social mobility so they can't move up from when they start their first job to where they can actually achieve what i would deem the american dream and so hmm. i uh i for for me housing it you cannot fix wealth inequality unless you fix housing and you cannot fix either of those things unless you have access to opportunity. And so housing, jobs, and opportunity, all those go together. And for me, the millennial generation, because of the time that we came out of school, we were trying to get our first jobs. Many of us have a lot of student loans. Uh, we came out right during the recession or right after the recession, so we started behind in our careers. And we're the first generation where the American dream is really, really at risk. Like the American dream, the way that I kind of define it is, you think that you're going to pass down more to your children than you got from than you have for yourself or you got from your parents. Not necessarily the white picket fence. Or right. Not necessarily the white so picket doing fence. Doing better than your parents. The two kids, the dog, but yeah, the two, the, two and two point three kids. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully we're just doing better generation to generation in all things. I mean, whether it comes to the way we're making our laws, the way that we're becoming more inclusive, the way that we're having access to opportunity, more economic development, more jobs. Uh, more social mobility, but it seems like we're at a precipice where we could actually be going backwards. And so we need to start fighting. And if we don't start fighting in Raleigh, where will we start? Yeah. And the, in the capital of North Carolina, for sure. Um, so I'm wondering, I mean, this is what you do sort of in your, I mean, you don't get paid for this, this is in your <laughs> spare time. So, I mean, it's like, you know, a, a really serious hobby, I guess. But, um, the you know maybe tell us more about what you do as the special counsel at North Carolina General Assembly. People who aren't familiar with anything legis legislative, yeah, um, you know what do you do there? 
Yeah, so the state legislature um, is currently meeting, actually. Um, they're meeting in their uh, short session, <laughs> and they're, they're passing bills. Um, and so my job at the General Assembly is basically to advise on legislation that comes through. Um, my kind of area of expertise is state and local tax. So clearly I'm the most interesting person that you've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> taxes. <laughs> but so, you know, when a, when a tax bill comes through, something that deals with, with those issues, I advise on those. I also deal with um, justice and public safety issues. I deal with unemployment insurance issues. Um, I deal with, I'm the self-appointed alcohol law expert just because it's a personal interest um, at the General Assembly. And then I also do election laws. So I, I maintain a pretty broad portfolio, which is okay. maybe why they call me the special counsel. It's not because I'm particularly special. It's just they couldn't come up with any other title to figure out all the things I did. You're special. <laughs> uh, so if I, if I have a problem with any of those, I come to you, right? And yeah, you can definitely, I'll definitely come to me. I'll send out your you know, home address. and your <laughs> You can definitely come to me. The problem is that uh, unless you've been elected to office, you don't actually get to vote on the bills, but you do get to get advice. So my, my <laughs> primary area of responsibility in uh, the General Assembly is giving good advice and then persuading people that my advice is correct. So, <laughs> so, so talk to me more, uh, and we'll get back to um, housing here in a second, but Talk to me more about, you know, some of those things you just mentioned. So you said alcohol law. So, you know, what about that? And I know you, you, you told me you're a craft beer drinker, right? Right. So passionate about that. So what, what is, uh, you know, what does that look like as far as law in the, in the area? So, uh, you know, with our alcohol laws, a lot of them are just antiquated. They're built on a system that is no longer really representative of how we deal with and what our attitudes are about alcohol. They're, they're built on a system that alcohol is dangerous. It's a just post-prohibition system. And so the question becomes, do we need to modernize these things? And a lot of times you find out that something that you feel like is probably perfectly legal is actually illegal. So recently we had a bill come through the General Assembly that was sponsored by Senator Rick Gunn, who serves out at Burlington, um, that fixed a few problems with our alcohol laws, such as a brewer actually can't do uh, quality assurance, a little taste test on the beer before they serve it. It's actually illegal for them to do that. <laughs> and you can't really serve beer if you're not able to taste it. It's a very important <laughs> part of making sure that what sure. you've done works. And so we needed to change what those laws were just to create an opportunity to make sure the quality assurance could go through. Another one was um, that you you can serve beer and wine and liquor at a clubhouse, at a golf course, but you can't take liquor out on the golf course. Which seems weird because people were already definitely violating that on (laughs) golf courses that did actually make that choice. Um, But... Um, our laws didn't account for it. And we didn't want to make all these golfers criminals, so we needed to change our laws. And then, uh, you know, another issue was a little little more complicated, but Budweiser actually had the opportunity under our old law, when they work with distributors who send their beer out into the market, to decide whether or not the people that their distributors sold or even gave their um, distributorship to. So let's say you died, you wanted to give it to your kids, um, you wanted them to continue the family business. Well, Budweiser could actually say, no, I don't want to work with your kid. I only wanted to work with you. So I'm actually going to take this contract that we've signed. I'm going to match 
and reassign it to someone else. Wow. And so what we did is say, look, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. If you want to sell your pro- pro- your company that you've built through the years to your own kids, to somebody else that's a qualified person, that's been in the business, that's worked with you, or that's been in, mm. in the that just knows how to do this. Well, we're going to allow you to do that um, because that's what free enterprise looks like, and that's something that we believe in around here. Uh, we actually did create a carve-out for smaller brewers who don't have the same kind of leverage over their distributors that sure. a huge you know, Budweiser does so that they can make sure that they're working with distrib- with brewers that they feel comfortable with. Gotcha. That's just a small taste yeah. of, of what of what you do for your actual job. And I'm sure that keeps you eh, sort of busy. Yeah, know? usually, particularly yeah. around the, the this time of year. <laughs> and then, um, so going back to you know uh, Yembe and Share uh, Raleigh. I mean, are how do you do you go to events? Do you do you usually just stay on social media for you know part of the day, or you know how do, what does that look like? Well, I try to one way or another follow all the city council meetings and cover them and talk about the issues that I'm, I care about and how they affect the city council. Because I feel like one of the issues that people have and one of the reasons that we have so few people vote in Raleigh city elections is because they don't know what's going on <laughs> and they don't know what's at stake. It's very easy sometimes to know in national politics where you stand on an issue and what's at stake on a particular decision. It's more difficult at the local level to get access to that information. And so just saying, here's what's going on at the city council today. They're going to decide about food trucks. You care about food trucks, right? Here's what, where everybody stands on it. Here's what the proposal is. Here's why it's a bad or good idea. And here's what happened with it. Just trying mm-hmm. to tell people what's going yeah. on. And then... You know, I've been meeting with a lot of groups. Um, there are Yimby groups. There are young people that that just care about this kind of stuff. And uh, actually, both the Young Democrats and the Young Republicans are expressing a much larger interest in getting involved in city issues. And so I, I actually did a panel with the Young Republicans the other day with Nicole Stewart, who's an at-large city councilor, and Russ Stevenson, who's an at-large city councilor. And we just had a discussion for an hour about city issues, and it was really good. I thought it was healthy to have that kind of democratic, open discussion, um, and hopefully there are more civic groups that start to have those. That's awesome. So it's it's more than just all all the tweets I, say, I see. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more than you just do, one guy tweeting. Research, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, so next question, you know, how can people, if people are like, oh, I'm really passionate about this too, Brent, what do I do? You know, what do they do? Uh, well, you know, I guess this is the shameless plug portion no, of the program. Please, please, yeah, please do that. <laughs> follow me on Twitter. Uh, follow our Facebook page. We often put out updates. I try to keep events on there as well. So if people want to come to events um, and get involved. And I also, I just try to like, as a calendar, just try to figure out things that are cool that are happening and just say, hey, check this out. This thing is cool. It's happening. It's probably because of growth. It's probably because of opportunity. Hey, let's let's get involved with this and support it because if we don't support the things that we love and that we and that we enjoy about Raleigh. Well, then they'll go away. So we need to continue to do those. Um, and then uh, that, that's him saying you need to retweet you know, everything <laughs> I put out. And, <laughs> and then I think that um, as the election gets a little bit closer, there will be more organizational opportunities for people to get involved if they care about that kind of mm. stuff and they want to get involved in a grassroots level. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to get involved in your local community, whether it's a citizen advisory council, which is kind of like a neighborhood group that's put on by the city, or it's when they do something like the uh, 
what they're calling the Midtown St. Albans uh, area plan, which is just basically a future growth development plan for the North Hills area and what that will look like. There are ways to get involved with the city that can make your voice heard. And if there are people that are really interested and, pa- and passionate about that, please reach out to me. I'd love to help connect you to those resources. Any advice for potential home homeowners? Uh, yeah, I've uh, so I've bought three houses in this area since 2011. Um, wow. I bought you, you one. You just like to move a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bought the townhouse when I first moved here. My wife and I first got married. We bought a house um, out in uh, out in Bedford, which is north of 540. I was working downtown, and I was like, I just cannot continue to do this commute every day. Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> So we moved to Five Points, so we bought a third house within like seven years. Um, and uh, what I would say for people that are, if they're particularly if they're first-time home buyers, is take your time, be patient, but act quickly because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of competition out there. Um, there are so many people putting bids in. Don't overextend yourself. Don't buy something you can't afford. Don't put yourself in a position where you have more debt than you can. Don't be one of the. Don't be a statistic. Don't yeah. be a housing cost burden statistic. Yeah. Be smart about what you do, and realize there is no perfect house. But if you love where you live, that's what's going to ultimately matter. I love where I live. I love the Five Points area. I love Raleigh as a whole, and that has made such a huge difference in my quality of life. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, taking notes on my sheet of paper. <laughs> um, I want to brag here, but Brent does have a 919 podcast uh, sticker. So, you know, it, all of you should be very jealous it's of him. very sharp. Very <laughs> not, not sharp to the touch. Sharp, sharp looking, just in case anyone was like, no, I don't want a sharp bumper sticker. Um, Brent, anything uh, that you want to talk about that we didn't? No, other than, uh, you know, I just... For folks that might listen to this and that have reached out to me already and said, hey, I really appreciate what, you do, what you're doing, that has made a really huge difference. And um, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for people that are getting involved and just saying, hey, what can I do? I love this place. I want to give something back. What can I do? Um, one of the things that you can definitely do is if you're involved or familiar with Habitat for Humanity, they build affordable housing in Raleigh. I just did it a few weeks ago myself. I have no construction skills whatsoever. (laughs) I have practically no skills whatsoever, honestly. But I was able to help, and getting involved, hands-on activity, whether it's doing that or serving at a rescue mission or homeless shelter or whatever, Raleigh is a great place because of what we do and giving back to our community is what we owe to what it's given to us. And so um, just I want to thank everybody that's supported me because it's hard sometimes to keep putting out that content and Mm -hmm. keep writing and keep thinking of new ideas. And sometimes you don't want to do it, but then you think, hey, this matters to somebody and that makes a big difference. And I think that's going to that makes a big difference to everybody that's involved in trying to make Raleigh better. I think we're going to end on that. That was awesome. And uh, Brent, thanks for being on the 919 podcast. Yeah, thank you. You just listened to Brent Woodcox talk about housing and sustainable development in Raleigh. Go ahead and leave a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the pod and connect with the show on Twitter and Facebook at the 919 podcast. Follow me on Twitter at John Carter NC. As always, thanks for listening.